0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to our program, Questions and Answers, as usual, every Saturday between 6 and 7 p.m. on the Voice of the Cape. Today in studio with me, as always, is Sheikh Ibrahim was from the Imam of the Yusufiya Masjid in Weinberg. Sheikh, assalamu to you.
1: Wa, salam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa To you, Sister Mishka, and also to all our listeners of the Voice of the Cape.
0: So much for your time, as always, Sheikh. We've got quite a few questions to go through, so we're going to start immediately with with them. However, if you'd like to send in those questions, you're welcome to do so 47913 is the SMS line. Let's uh, see how many we can get through today. Inshallah the ones that we do not get through, we will do again in the next shows that will come, Inshallah. So Sheikh, the first question. I've revoked my first talak to my wife and I've notified the Molana. He still uh, gave her the talak papers and told my wife she must not worry to, uh, to complete her ida. I've never lifted my hands to my wife what I can't
1: understand is how she changes overnight. How, what can I do? With regards to a person who has divorced his wife and she is under the Iddah of this first divorce, It means that he and she has the right to obviously reconcile and to get back to each other. Uh, And of course, that is through the process of raja. Now, raja means if the husband actually says to her, let's let's make up, let me rather pull back the divorce. However, that does not mean that when a person takes back the divorce, that the divorce is cancelled. What we mean by that is the divorce still stands in terms of the amount of chances that you will have in the future of issuing a talaq so that talaq still stands so you only have two chances left in the future Uh, however if it is during the idda that a person wants to do this rajaa and he wants to take back the wife that is uh, halal you know you can do that and they will be husband and wife again they don't have to remarry etc etc so the papers if the the person gave the paper to say that the talaq has gone through then that is perfectly fine because the talaq still stands the talaq is not cancelled out as such all right, and she yes the idda period will stop then They will no longer be the the idda period will be terminated if they sort of make up, and like I said they will again be halal for each other they will just carry on as usual, uh, and now uh, this is the, the the thing that they need to work on their marriage and okay. and make sure that you know they don't go that route again, if for example the idda was done. Uh, then of course it means they can get back to, to one uh, with one another, but they will have to remarry. They will have to go through the whole procedure again. So I'm not sure the person is saying that the paper was, was still given. So, so maybe the person had in his mind that if the talaq is revoked or if if, uh, uh, if they have reconciled during the Idda period, maybe in his mind he thought that that talaq is no longer there it's like okay. it's like gone so oh. he still has his three chances okay uh, and that is not true you you that that talaq is 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 still valid it still stands um and although you've made up with your wife it all now means is that you have two chances left in the future and that, that means you should be extra careful, extra cautious. You're not uh, saying these words of talaq, etc. And you are quite right. The, the, the idda does stop the moment that you have made up. So she doesn't have to be under idda any longer. As for the last part of the question, of course, he's saying that he doesn't know how she changed, etc. Uh, I think people do o- over the years, you know, um, somehow or the other due to a lack of either communication or a lack of concern or a lack of love, you know, uh, in the household. They tend to grow apart. And they tend to sort of live past, past mm. each other mm. So he's asking He doesn't know how the wife changed Well you need to ask yourself the question What has happened in my home You know? What has led to this Is it uh, Did she just change like that without any due reason mm. Or was there other things that also obviously led to that uh, And many times if you if you go a little bit deeper You'll see there's lots of things uh, Sometimes it's maybe small things That we sometimes overlook It may be that uh, in, in your house you, you don't speak appropriately for example Or you never expect your appreciation to your wife or whatever mm. I'm not saying this is the case I'm just giving examples um, it may be that the wife genuinely she's the problem she's got certain issues but we always need to probe and we need to look at the thing holistically because I, I, I I'm, I'm always very sure that when there is a reaction there must be something that stirred it on it, mm. it couldn't have come from nowhere mm. So uh, uh inshallah what I think you should be doing is uh, if you've taken your wife back insh- you are married now again I mean you are together inshallah try to now work on those on those negatives or perhaps things that are and be honest with yourself don't always think that you are the party that are right and the uh, and the other one is wrong right be honest and sit down and say look how can we improve our marriage you know what can we do is there maybe uh, things that we have been lacking in in the last few years maybe we haven't shown each other the affection or appreciation that we should mm. is there maybe small Things that we are taking for granted. I mean, the way that we communicate with each other. Maybe with a, there's no respectful way of doing that, etc. Um, those are very, very important ingredients that obviously keep a married marriage uh, together. So I, I feel that you, you should be doing that, inshallah, and uh, you know, uh, make sure that also your relationship with Allah is is on a very high level when you are in your home, because that is obviously something also that always uh, is of a benefit to any marriage. It, it brings people closer together because they are close to Allah. So make sure that that is Because it's not always just the mechanical things You know, you think like uh, It's maybe just the issues in marriage and so on Sometimes it's got to do with the fact that You need to also have a good relationship with Allah So that your heart can be softened, etc So make sure that all of that is also On a very high high, high level So that inshallah Allah should guide you For the future That you don't go back to where you Have just gone to now By giving a divorce, etc And we hope for the best, inshallah
0: I mean inshallah, shukran qi. So, what would happen, Sheikh, if uh, the half the dowry or rather that they haven 't consummated the marriage but they have still talaked um, what now happens with the dowry if only half was paid? yeah,
1: mm-hmm. in that case, obviously the half would be uh, still would still be the property of the wife, the half will not be returned as such. Mm. Uh, And uh, like I said, the half is payable at the time of the contract, and that half never falls away, but it remains the property of the wife. Uh, However, the other half now will not be payable if consummation did not take place. If, for example, the full dowry was paid at the time of the contract, and there was actually a divorce before consummation, before they lived together, and divorce took place, the husband in that case, he actually has the right to claim back half of the dowry. Because the wife is only entitled to half of it if there was only a valid contract without consummation. So it's only at the time of consummation that the full dowry will be payable.
0: Remember, you can SMS your questions to 47913 and Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss will be able to answer them, inshallah. The next question, Sheikh, please explain Milka marriage.
1: Yeah, the Milka marriage is something that has come up uh, of late in our communities. It wasn't known before. It is a customary type of uh, uh, marriage whereby two people get married with a normal contract of nikah and everything is done normally. Uh, the only difference is that they sort of agree not to live together yet. Okay. So the contract will go through, they will go to the masjid, they will do everything like a nikah normally takes place. The only thing is they've got an agreement amongst them that this husband and wife will not yet consummate the marriage. They will still live apart. Uh, until such a time that they obviously decide they want to consummate the marriage, mm-hmm. uh, and this is obviously it's an Arab custom. It's not our custom. It's not our culture. It has been imported from Saudi Arabia, I think, and and other countries perhaps. But Saudi Arabia particularly uh, practices uh, this this form of nikah, okay. and it's a normal nikah. Like I said, it's it's nothing strange about it. It's only that the date of consummation is is delayed. Now, what we need to know is they they are obviously. Uh, consequences Mm. to this kind of nikah. And people, uh, although uh, I see that people do go into this for good reasons. For example, people don't want to court. They don't want to obviously do something that is haram. Mm. They don't want to sit in each other's company in a way that is haram. So that's why they rather go this this route, Mm. which is admirable. I mean, it's a good niya. However, we also need to understand that these consequences. All the consequences is that at the time when the contract takes place, half of the dowry must already be be paid to this okay. wife, even if the marriage is not consummated. Mm-hmm. The other half obviously becomes payable and becomes uh, obligatory at the time of consummation. Uh, also, uh, we know that um, nafaka uh, and maintenance will not yet apply until right. the marriage is consummated. So it's only from the time when they actually live together and they consum made their marriage, that nafaka and maintenance will now fall into place. Thirdly, if they, for example, want to part from each other, let's say they went into this contract, uh, but they did not yet consummate, but now a few months down the line, before, before consummation, they actually now decide they don't want to any longer. Okay. So can they just walk away? The answer is no. They must be divorced now because since there was a legal contract, the husband will have to divorce this wife, and she will be a divorcee. Mm. Although in this case there will be no idda, as we know, if if marriage was not consummated, there's no idda at all. But she's nonetheless a woman that was married. Mm. It's a it's a divorced woman, and he was married before. It will classify as somebody that was married before. So it's not a matter of just walking away from each other, but there has to be the procedure of talaq that actually takes place. Uh, And then one question that comes up with regards to this Milka marriage as well is, so what if they, let's say they decided that they're only going to consummate the marriage in six months' time? Mm -hmm. This is what they agreed on. But then somehow or the other, they did it before then. Okay. They went out or they were alone at home when they consummated the marriage. Well, in that case, it's not, uh, it's not haram that they've done because they are married legally. They've just gone against, the, against the, the agreement that they had of consummation. So from that moment onwards, obviously, everything falls into place. Uh, so they, they didn't do anything that is haram as such, although they've, they've gone against the, the agreement. Uh, they are legally married with each other So which means that uh, From that point onwards everything will start Now the nafaqah will the start, the other yeah. half of the dowry, Etc. Yeah. And if a Divorce will take place after that Then she will have to go under idda and okay. so on and so forth yeah. So those are just some of the consequences Of this uh, form of nikah I want to reiterate, it's, it's it's a normal nikah All the procedures is normal It's done absolutely, there must be witnesses There must be uh, a wali There must be a, a spoken offer and an acceptance The qabil to part and all that in the masjid must take place. So all of that needs to be there, exactly as a normal nikah. The only thing is that they have a sort of agreement not to yet live with each other until such a time that they decide they want to consummate
0: the marriage. Shukran very much, Sheik. We take an ad break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at some inheritance issues that always comes up. So stay tuned to The Voice of the Cape. We'll answer your questions after this. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Questions and Answers for Sheikh Ibrahim Waz, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. So today we are, of course, continuing with the questions that we've received. We are in a bit of a backlog, but please do send it to 47913 and we will answer them in subsequent shows, inshallah. So, Sheikh, we, as promised, we are going to be speaking about inheritance now. Uh, the next question: Parents have passed on, and the siblings has approached me to buy the house. Is it permissible that I buy the house? They are Christian. Hmm.
1: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. rahim uh, the first thing here is obviously that the siblings um, and I'm not sure if it's the siblings of of yourself or the siblings of your, your parent that passed away. So anyway, either way, um if it if they are non-Muslim, then it means obviously they will not have any portion of the inheritance mm. because there's mm. no inheritance between people who share different faiths. Um the only way that a non-Muslim sibling sibling can get something from the estate is through what is known to be a wasiya, a, a bequest. So the, the testator can actually write in his will that he wants um, a portion of his wealth to go to um, a non-Muslim uh, family member or to a neighbor or to anything like that or to a hospital or to a school or to a masjid. This is a third of the estate as a maximum amount to be given as bequest. Nothing more than a third. It can be less than a third but nothing more than a third. So that's the only way that these siblings uh, could have gotten something from the estate okay. however that is not the question the question now is that uh, they are not inheriting that we know but they want to now uh, purchase the house for example they want to purchase the property is there anything wrong with that obviously if uh, the the heirs all agree on that The heirs, obviously, the house or the property now becomes their property, so they will decide what they want to do with it. If they want to sell it, if they want to split it, if they want to rent it, they can do with it whatever they want. And if they amongst themselves agree that, look, these are our siblings, even though they're non-Muslim, but they want to buy it, Hmm. and perhaps we are already okay off and they need a place. So sell it to them for a good price, Okay. nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. nothing wrong because it's a normal sale that will take place after the estate has been wound up, right? So it's nothing to do with inheritance in other words, it's got to do with sale, uh, buying and selling. And you are obviously at liberty to sell your property to to whoever you, you wish. So in this case, if there are siblings that are non-Muslim, that doesn't cause a barrier for you to do that uh, since it is not inheritance but rather a purchase uh, of of the house. That would be absolutely uh, okay and permissible, inshallah.
0: Shukran so much. Next question. What does one do in a case of a husband always covering up for his son, then moves out and tells you you'll only come back when the stepmom asks mouth to his child?
1: Yeah. The parents, unfortunately, sometimes we have found that parents are blinded by what their children do. And it uh, may be for various reasons. Sometimes I found that it's because children are giving some financial support to the parents. Okay. So the parents don't want to see their wrongs so or they don't want to tell them if they're wrong because they depend on the little bit of money maybe they get from the child, etc. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's wrong you know, for a parent to cover up the wrong of a child. No matter who that child is and no matter what it is, they they need to obviously always look at the well-being of the child. And you're not doing the child any good service by covering up their faults. But rather if you guide them and you tell them whatever they are doing wrong, then you are helping them actually. Because eventually they will also have uh, their kids of their own, etc. So you are actually nurturing them to be good parents. I mm. mean, you, mm. If you just turn a blind eye on wrong things. And this we find often with the issue of substance abuse, for example. Where, where kids are doing substance abuse, drugs, whatever it is. And parents simply just don't want to. Uh, because they're embarrassed or the family is going to know, etc. So they rather don't say anything. Or in their mind they don't want to make any trouble. The point is if it's your own child You're not making trouble You're actually making more trouble By not saying anything You're making more trouble By not giving nasiha And not by helping this child In the proper way so in this case, uh, I, we can call up the example of the Prophet Wasallam, which is a, a striking example. Where a person stole, and they they wanted to intercede for this person for the hand not to be cut off, etc. And the Prophet got very angry for them to intercede because he said, uh, since this woman was a very wealthy woman, or she came from a, not a wealthy, but she came from a very well-known tribe, mm. the Prophet said, why is it that because she comes from a, a well-known tribe, you want to now overlook the punishment? Whereas if it had to be from an ordinary tribe, then you would have meted out the punishment. Mm, there shouldn't mm. be that kind of injustice. Mm. And the statement that he made, and this is what I want to come to, is he said, Law anna Fatima bint وسلم, Even if it was at this point Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad, that stole, then I would have cut off her hand as well.
0: Okay. You know,
1: so this is what I want to come to. The Prophet, even if it was his own child that did something wrong, he would not turn a blind eye. He would not say, well, because it's Fatima, because it's my my daughter, I'm not going to do anything mm, about it. Mm. So um, I think it's, it's, it's wrong for a parent to cover up, especially if there is something terribly that the child is doing terribly wrong and they need that kind of guidance. You need to guide them. You need to be open with them. You need to be frank. You need to be kind of uh, very stern at times. You need to be very decisive at times and you cannot let the thing just go under the mat, you know, go swept, be swept under the carpet because at the end of the day, you're doing a disservice to that child. The okay. child is just going to develop in an adult, uh, an adult with more complexes and more oh. issues and more oh. problems, etc. So the question now is, um, this husband is saying now to his wife that, you know, he's not going to come back unless the wife says mouth to, to the child. Now, we need to obviously know a bit more detail. I mean, you know, what actually happened? happened. Is there maybe a justification for him wanting mouth from you, etc.? Or is it, as you are saying, face value here, that he just covers up for the child all the time? Which if that is the case, then obviously what we need to do is where somebody needs to speak to him, you know, and say, look, you, you can't expect her to say ma'am to the child if the child is being rude all the time and the okay. child is doing wrong things. I mean, it's, it's wrong. Even if it's your child and not her child, you, you can't be covering up for your child mm. at the expense of your marriage. Mm. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Mm. So we need to obviously know those details. Uh, if that is the case, then somebody needs to tell him that that is not the way we do things. Mm. But what I want to say to this woman is try to reconcile, you know, as much as you can. Sulh, you know, always reconciliation is always what we strive for. So sometimes let's say it's it's the first time that it's happening. It's not a recurring thing. And he wants you to say mouth. Otherwise, he's not going to reconcile the marriage, you know. If it's a first time offense, etc., then say mouth because you've got nothing to lose, you know. Say mouth to the child. Uh, because that will be actually saving your marriage. Mm. But if it's a recurring thing, if it's something that happens all the time, then obviously for you to say mouth and that, you may not feel comfortable to do that because you think it's a joke. You think that uh, you know it doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. Which in that case, uh, like I said, you need somebody to sit and actually work out and listen to the details. Why is it that the pop father is covering up for the child all the time and then come to some kind of conclusion as far as that is concerned? But but reconciliation is always a very good option. Mm. You know, we always try to reconcile our, our relationships with our wives, with our husbands, with our children. Uh, sulh, you know. Our Deen is a deen that strives for Sulh. There's actually a hadith that speaks about this that says that a person who brings reconciliation between two parties is Daraja is actually more than a person that fasts and makes salah and all of that. Wow. Because to bring the relationship, you know, on a good footing between two people, that is a very great thing, you know. To, to join family ties is a very mm-hmm. great thing, so if you can do that, and uh, you know that would obviously be a better option, yes. and we make, dua Allah makes easy for you. I know it, it mustn't, it must be difficult mm-hmm. when, when mm-hmm. you have a a husband who's covering up with a child all the time and blames you, etc. It must be very difficult. But inshallah, try your best to mend and to adjust this relationship so that it can come back to normality, inshallah ta'ala.
0: Shukran very much, Sheikh. When we come back from the ad break, we're going to be discussing the question about the second wife and uh, how she needs to um, you know, take the, the back seat almost in a sense. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Was the Imam of the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. We are encouraging you to send your questions to 47913. Alternatively, you're welcome to also email us info at vocfm.co.za and we'll answer the question for you, inshallah. So Sheikh, the next question is, I am a second wife. My husband tells me all stories about his first wife who doesn't want him to sleep by me, but he can visit every day. And when I speak to him, he says he loves me, but if I compare Plain. then I must leave him please
1: advise Bismillah ar the, the bottom line for, for the husband here is to, to do whatever he needs to do to treat both of his wives fairly mm. right that, that is a command from Allah Ta'ala. So the moment when he took on another wife he took on that responsibility that he will look after them and he will give them equally in terms of financial means as well as spending time there must be equal amount of time being spent between the wives. This is something which uh, the Prophet ﷺ himself was very, very strict on. Okay? There's a hadith where the Prophet وسلم, said that uh, من كانت له امرأتان أحدهما جاء يوم القيامة مائل. And This hadith is in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and other books of hadith. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ says that if a person has two wives and he has an inclination to the one more than the other, and here inclination the ulama explain it doesn't mean a, an emotional inclination because that is something uncontrollable okay. but a physical inclination meaning he spends more time with the other uh. or he gives more money to the one than the other then on the day of judgment he will appear in front of allah ta'ala and one of his sides will be completely skewed right in other words one side of his body will be completely skewed and and people will be able to notice this is someone who had mistreated one of his wives or did not give them the due haq that was that was due to them so that is a, a, a major thing i mean this this husband he must make sure that he treats them equally now in terms of how the prophet ﷺ viewed this himself it is said that Sayyidina aisha she narrates that when the prophet ﷺ was even ill he used to insist and actually ask aina ana ghadan, you know where, where must i go tomorrow okay he was so worried even though he was ill and because he knew this is a responsibility, you know, if you've got more than one wife, you mm. must give each one treat the equal treatment that mm. they deserve and the love that they deserve, etc. So in, on his deathbed almost, he used to ask, you know, where am I tomorrow? Where am I tomorrow? Sure. But the wives obviously then all agreed that he may stay with say, that in Aisha. Mm. They agreed on that, mm. which is fine. So in this case, I feel that obviously the first wife has got no right to dictate to the husband and say to him that, you know, you can only go to her during the day, but you can't go sleep there at night. Mm. She's got no right. To to do that Uh, and and what is more of a worry is that he actually listens to the first wife and he actually abides by that Mm. because then it means that he is not playing his role as the husband you know or the sultan or the one that is supposed to be the one that oversees things and overlooks things it seems that he is just following the wrong that his first wife is telling him and so she's got no and 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 no one can say I mean this is wrong people may say but isn't it okay because he, he can be there in the day and, and the night, you know, maybe she doesn't want him in the night, but in the day he's there. Isn't it equal? The answer is no, the day is not like the night. Hmm. We know, daytime is people are around. There, you can't have a, your intimate moments. You can't have your privacy and yeah. all of that. Yeah. So how, how can you compare the day with the night? And that's why when the ulama speak about even the time that is divided between wives, they say it must be a 24-hour cycle. Okay. It must be day and night. Because there's certain things you need to do in the day and certain things you need to do at night. Uh. Certain things you can only do at night and certain things you can only do in the day. So if you do a cycle, it, it can't be a half a cycle. It must be, mm. a, you know, a cycle that includes the day and the night. So this woman has got no right to tell the husband to do that, and the, the husband should not abide by that. He should put his foot down and say, no. And I took another wife, but I've got a duty to her as well. Mm. And if she, uh, obviously I need to be there at night also certain times. I can't be sleeping by, by you all the time and neglect her, you know. Mm, mm. That is absolutely wrong. And I think the, the only one that can actually put this right is the husband himself. He made the choice to take a second wife, so he must obviously live up to it, and he will be responsible for it. Not his wife, not anyone else but Allah is going to tell him you took an, a wife you should have known so that is our advice that inshallah he tries to to not do injustice to his wives and uh, try his best to give them you know, whatever he can uh, on equal footing, etc. If he wants to gain the pleasure of Allah, he should be doing that, inshallah. Inshallah.
0: Ta'ana. Shukran, Sheikh. The SMS number 47913, and you're welcome to send any of your questions to Sheikh. We'll answer them in subsequent shows, inshallah. Next question uh, Can ladies over 60 go for Umrah without a mahram? I've got my mahram, but my cousins and friends would like to join us. Is it permissible?
1: Yeah, if it's the first time that this woman is going for Umrah, then of course it would be permissible, as we know in the Shafi'i school of thought. Mm. Imam al-Shafi'i allows a woman to travel for a first fard hajj or umrah, uh, alone, without any mahram. Uh, but even so, he says that it must be in a company of women that are up, up, upright and trustworthy and that can support her, etc. Mm. So if it is a first-time person that is going, then yes, by all means. But if it's not a first-time umrah, if the person had gone umrah many times before, then the sharia dictates that there must be a mahram present. Okay. And all the ulama of the former Dahib agree on this. There is no disagreement on it. There is kind of consensus amongst the shafi'is, Hanafis, Malikis and Hanbalis that insists That there must be a mahram for a woman who travels for any travel other than a travel that is compulsory, and that is the fard hajj and the fard umrah.
0: Excellent, shukran, Sheikh. Uh, Next question: What is a good du'a to recite by my mom's cupboard? I just I recently lost her.
1: Uh, alhamdulillah, we, we pray for your loss And uh, we make dua that Allah makes it easy for you Amen. and Allah puts sabr in your heart And it's very encouraging that you are asking What dua can you make? Because at least you are thinking of your mother And this is a great thing for me Not for you for your sake, but for your mother's sake Because mm. it shows that your mother has really reared you In a proper way And you know have taught you the importance of dua And, and we know this is one of the things that continue Even after death mm. I mean, this is mm. one of the beautiful things That when a person dies, everything comes to a standstill You don't have the opportunity to do good any longer to make salah or anything like that. But there's three things that continue as per the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari a very authentic hadith where the Prophet so, says. So, so. If the son of Adam passes away and everything comes to a standstill except three things. One of them is If you give a sadaqah to a masjid, a school, etc., as long as that masjid or school is in operation, you will be receiving the rewards of that sadaqah that you have made. The second one is, (laughs) علم ينتفع If you left behind knowledge that is uh, beneficial, that people can benefit from, whether it is worldly knowledge, whether it is religious knowledge, as long as it is knowledge that benefits others. So even if you die, and that knowledge is still being benefited from, Mm. then you will still reap the the rewards and the benefits of it. And the third one is, And this is the one we're talking about—a person who leaves behind a child, a pious child, who is able to make du'a for him and for her. Subhanallah. Imagine you—you you are in your grave, but at least your child is there mm. reciting for you. I mean, isn't that what we all want? At least you—you will be getting the thawab, you know. Mm. And that's why I, I always encourage people: if you are investing in your children, it's good to invest in their education. It's good to invest in their lives in the material way and all that. That's—that's that's fine. That is allowed. That is expected from you. But don't forget to invest in your child in terms of their religion, Mm. in terms of their Iman, Mm. in terms of their faith. Make sure that you teach them these things. Because they are the ones that are going to benefit you when you leave this world and you are in your قبر. So coming to the question, what do you ask and you recite? Imam Al-Shafi'i had recommended that when you when you are at the graveside that you recite some Quran first and foremost. Okay. And the best Quran that you can recite is the well-known suras like Surah Yasin, mm-hmm. or you can recite Suratul mulk or you can recite the three Quls if you if you don't want to do the long suras, or you can recite Ayatul Kursi, or you can recite the opening verses of Suratul Baqarah and the end of Suratul Baqarah, which. We normally recite in our adhkar. These are all recommendations. Imam Shafi'i says that he it's mustahab his words are, Imam Shafi'i, he was so passionate, you know, about the Quran. He says that it's good to recite the Quran at the Qabr. And if a person can recite the whole khatam there, then it is even better for him. Wow. Because obviously more reward and more mm-hmm. blessings and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we, we all don't have the opportunity always to do that. So recite first and foremost some virtuous surahs or, or ayat, whatever is easy for you. And then after that, you can do some of the Du'as that are uh, recommended by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which are the normal du'as that we normally make at the janazah you okay. know Allah lahu in this case your mother Allah laha wa wa askina fil jannah Allah laha wa wa afiha anna and you can consult any of your local imams you know they will be able to give you these du'as and I can also make it available if some if people want it so you can recite any of these du'as and then finally If you are sitting there at the grave and you didn't bring now du'as with or you didn't memorize, you don't have the booklet, make du'as in English. Mm, mm. Allah Ta'ala understands English also. Mm. He understands obviously Afrikaans, any language. Mm. Speak to Allah. You know, ask Allah to forgive your your mother. Uh, Ask Allah Ta'ala to raise her and to put her in the company of the Anbiya and the Salihin, and the Shuhada. Uh, Pray to Allah and make du'a and say, Oh Allah, make that my mother's qabr must be a garden from the gardens of paradise. Mm. That is a du'a that the Prophet taught us. Mm. You know, you must always ask that Allah must change because that is what happens if A person is a mu'min Then Allah Ta'ala Changes that qabr Into a beautiful garden And it's spacious And it's illuminated And that person Is in bliss we think it's just a small hole uh. but allah ta'ala actually widens that space for that, for that person and if it's obviously a person that, that is not a good person then allah changes it into one of the pits of the pits of jahannam you know mm-hmm. and it's a very bad scene and it's a very bad thing so make that dua oh allah put nur in in my, my my mother's qabr illuminate her qabr you know um widen her qabr these are duas that you make even in english allah ta'ala inshallah be sincere in your heart make it sincerely Then certainly Allah Ta'ala Will accept those duas for you And we pray for your mother's forgiveness And that Allah Ta'ala grant the family and yourself All of the best inshallah
0: Ameen Shukran so much Remember you can message 47913 With any of your questions We're speaking to Sheikh Ibrahim Was The Imam of the Yusufiya Masjid in Weinberg Sheikh the next question received Can my father be my wakil? He never married my mother I got married without his knowledge But according to him we are not married And now he says I'm nothing to him I don't exist please help
1: yeah it's a uh, it's always a very um, sensitive and tricky situation when there is uh, children that are born out of wedlock and when it comes to marriage especially who's going to be the wali and the guardian and so yeah. on well in this case technically speaking your father is not your wali you know you cannot stand as your wali because you are not a legit a legitimate child of, of marriage so the father is not your legitimate father in terms of Sharia, uh, just the hadith is, uh, this is a well-known hadith by the Prophet ﷺ yes. that a child will only be considered a child that is legitimate if that child was born out of a bed that has been, that has been used for wedlock or for, for marriage purposes when people were married okay. and that child was consumed in that circumstances, then that child is legitimate. The Prophet ﷺ made it very clear. Uh, so, your father obviously is not your wakil, he's not your wali, so you did not need his permission as such mm. to get married. However, uh, we needed to ask the question: yeah, were there anyone else that could have stood for you as a wali? Maybe a brother, maybe an uncle, any other family members, because okay. they should have taken that responsibility. If, let's say, they weren't around or they weren't interested either, and you actually then uh, you didn't want to consult your father, you just didn't have a relationship with him and you then went to make the imam directly your wakil, you know, or you authorized him, then that is fine. That is allowed in circumstances where you don't have a wali. Okay. And since your father is not your legal guardian as such, you it was okay for you to do that. However, what I want to say is that, you know, in, in circumstances like these, I always feel that uh, from a Sharia point, we know now that the father is not the legal guardian, mm. but I still feel, that we should not try to cause further enmity, you know. Try to uh, bridge the gaps and, and try to mend whatever mm. we can. Mm. So I will always encourage people that, that have this situation, still speak to your biological father. He may not be your wali or your wakil, but he may mm. still have some concern for you. Mm. He may still have that feeling and, and, and compassion for you. So don't exclude him completely from this process. So what I would say here is, although I'm of the opinion that your, your nikah would be valid, And it's not like he's saying that your nikah is not valid because you didn't ask him. Okay, I don't agree with that because Mm -hmm. he's not the guardian. Mm. He don't have the right to say that. However, I I would still say to you that if you can make sulh, you know, if you can reconcile with him. Mm. Again, that is what Islam teaches Teaches us. us. Try to at all times mend relationships, you know. So go to him and say, "So, look, I'm sorry I didn't include you in the process, but I am married now. And can't we start anew, or fresh? You know, can't we make a fresh start? Can't we move from here onwards? Hmm. And try to sort of encourage him and to uh, to to. To make right, you know, and to to, to forgive and to reconcile. That is what the Sharia would be encouraging us to do all the time. But just to come to the actual thing again, your marriage is legally valid. If you did not have a legal guardian other than this father of yours to stand for you, and the Imam married you according to the Sharia, and you followed all the laws and the conditions, then your marriage is correct and valid. Mm. You you don't need the... um, you don't need the permission of this father of yours, who is your biological father, but not your sharia father. You did not need his uh, permission at all.
0: Yeah. Shukran, Sheikh. And the question, uh, let's see if we can get one or two in before the Maghrib Badan. The next one is, is um, seven nights or 40 days uh, reading the Quran when losing a loved one bid'ah?
1: Yeah, this is rather a, a, a long question, which I wouldn't like to just brush over. Okay. But I'll I'll just mention some things. Maybe we can come back to it. Um, but um, because I feel this is kind of a problem in our communities nowadays, mm. where the word bid'ah is used very loosely, and it seems that uh, people are very quick to brand things as bid'ah. And uh, the 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 I think the way that many people believe it to be is that a bid'ah is anything which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not do. Mm. This is the simple way in which people say what bid'ah is. Yeah. Whereas the reality is that if that is the definition of bid'ah then it means that Sahaba radiallahu anh, committed a lot of bidah, mm. because they did a lot of things which the Prophet anh, did so not do. So surely there must be another definition. Mm. It can't be a definition of just saying simply what the Prophet anh, did not do because we find that the Sahaba, radiallahu anh, for example, in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, they compiled the Qur'an mm. all in one. Mm. This was something that was not done by the Prophet. In fact, when Sayyidina Umar suggested this to Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Abu Bakr initially said, but how can we do this because the Prophet did not do it? Uh. He initially said that. But then said, now Omar convinced him. So, Omar said, yes, but we need to look at the broader picture here. If we don't do this, mm. then the Quran is going to be lost mm. because the Sahaba is being killed in the battles, those who are hafiz So, how are we going to preserve this book? You know? So, even if the Prophet did not do it, it's something that we need to do in order to preserve our faith mm. and preserve our Qur'an. Mm. And he eventually convinced Sayyidina Abu Bakr that this is the right thing to do. So obviously that shows that a is not simply something which the Prophet did not do. Okay. But rather the correct definition of a bid'ah is it is an innovation which clashes or which goes right against what is mentioned in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah. In other words, Allah Ta'ala tells you to do something mm. and you intentionally go to the opposite of that. That would be a bid'ah, obviously. Mm. That would be an innovation, which is wrong. Mm. Now, if we look at many of these things that we do, um, uh, yes, we can say from uh, the technicality side, or rather the linguistic side, it is something which the Prophet did not do. But is it automatically something which should be shunned or wrong? Not necessarily. Mm. We have to look at it broader. Is it something that clashes with the Quran and the Sunnah? Or is it actually something which... Which aids or which helps you to be more in tune with the Quran and Sunnah. Okay. Now, seven, forty, and hundred nights, and all of this, we must make it clear: this is not Sunnah. Hmm. It's not. It's not taken from the Sunnah, and nobody can say you have to do it. I think this is also extreme. Our community sometimes they would brandish you, brand you. You know, if you don't do it, then almost like you, you something wrong with you. Hmm. No, we shouldn't do it. It's not fart. It's not compulsory.
0: Right.
1: It's a cultural thing but i do believe it's a cultural thing that has its merits because at least on those nights family come together mm-hmm. they, what do they do there i mean do they do things which clash with the sharia or do they actually do things which the sharia encourage mm-hmm. they recite quran that's something which the sharia encourage they make dhikr that is something which the sharia encourage they feed people that is sadaqah. so that is something the sharia encourage family get to see one another and to support each other that is something which the Sharia encouraged. So I think it's a beautiful support structure for the family of the deceased when we gather on those. And yes, we shouldn't make it like it has to be done and it must be on that night, even if you make it a different night. Mm. No problem. You know, don't be too strict mm-hmm. on those things that it must be this night or that night. Okay. So I, I I don't consider it to be a bida'a that should be shunned. Okay, I believe it is a good innovation. And said so Omar himself, when he gathered people for taraweeh in a certain fashion, he actually said, what a good bid'ah this is. This is his exact words. And this is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. He says, what a good innovation. Because sometimes you initiate something, although it is not done by the Prophet ﷺ, it's not in the Qur'an, but the outcome of it is, it's something that actually encourages people. Or it's something that actually is in tune with the Sharia. So that is how we judge all matters. You know, if it is something that is in tune with the Sharia, then it should not be termed a bid'ah, mm. but if it is something that wants to compete with the Sharia or mm. it wants to uh, do the opposite of what the Sharia is saying, mm. then obviously that should be a bid'ah that must be shunned and that should, uh, should be uh, completely ignored. But anyway, like I said, there's some other things, details. Maybe at another time we can speak at it uh, at, at more length, inshallah.
0: Okay. So we've got two and a half minutes left, Sheikh, um, of this part. Let's uh, try and do another question, inshallah, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to fit that in. The, the next question, Sheikh, how long after Fajr can one still make Salah?
1: Yeah, the Waqt of Fajr, of course, uh, starts when the time of the Adhan goes. That is the beginning of the Waqt of Fajr. Mm. And we call that Al-Fajr al-Sadiq. And what we mean that is the true dawn. There is an illumination in the sky that takes place just before that, which is not the true dawn. The true dawn is at the time when normally the Adhan goes off. So when that happens, that is the start of Fajr. And it continues for as long as the sun did not yet rise. Okay. okay so from the time of fajr adhan of fajr until sunrise and uh, of course the the time period that is estimated for this is more or less 1 hour and 20 minutes Okay, so if you make Fajr within that time, one hour and 20 minutes, then inshallah you are safe, you are still still and it's not out of its time. However, one should obviously try to make it as quick as possible, as possible. and not mm. uh, delay it. Mm. There may be times that the person is forced to due to having to travel. I know now that Fajr is a bit late, people travel during that time and so on. So you... You can make Fajr any time between when the Adhan goes off and an hour and 20 minutes later. In between that time, it will still be considered to be a compulsory act that is done in its time and not something that has been taken out of its time.
0: Wonderful, Sheikh. Uh, that brings us to the end of this program of questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Was, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. Uh, when we do our program next week, we're going to be starting off with the question, I'm married for 29 years, but my husband is having an affair with a Jehovah Witness, and uh, he wants to talak me um, and wants to uh, marry her, and uh, the question continues. But you're going to have to tune in next week to hear what the full question is and also the answer to that. You're welcome to send in the question to 47913 or SMS us to info at vocfm.co.za Shukran so much all the best for you inshallah, have a beautiful week and until we chat again Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Wa alaykum wa
1: rahmatullahi warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Jazakumullah to you also sister Mishka and to all of our listeners until we meet again inshallah, Jazakumullah, wa rahmatullah.
0: And of course all the podcasts are available on our podcast system which is vocfm.io.fm. and click on the question and answer channel, you'll find every thinking for you inshallah Wassalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh